The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> Here. It, is, it is in progress and we we are the homance chronicles hello hi hello <laughs> i'm sarah and i'm nicole i think me having to swap out my f- headphones has made your microphone much better i don't know i don't get it but i haven't had you like blip out once this whole time so that's good okay well I'm that's good it. i mean i've i've changed microphones a couple of times based mm-hmm. on the fact that you're like i can't hear you and i'm like i'm t- literally talking into this thing and i haven't touched anything Uh, it's a mess so um catch up corner real quick there's a new show on discovery plus called marry me abroad oh boy indeed indeed because these people are working with a matchmaker and these matchmakers some are hit and some are miss and i'm almost at a point now where i'm thinking one of these matchmakers is just a scam artist that wanted to be on tv like it's just person is not listening to his clients <laughs> oh well maybe the, maybe that is why they chose him for tv and i'm thinking like did the tv show pay him more than the clients are paying him and they have this like secret agreement he's gonna fuck with them the whole time right or what? <laughs> probably i mean producers really drive the content anyway so producers are probably like you know we love that you're not yes keep nodding using the application process <laughs> And just relying on the stars. Well, I believe like (laughs) this one has an application process, but it's like submit a paragraph of what you're interested in. And that's how he, what he goes off of. Like, I don't know if I've seen any like, you know, broken down characteristics that you would have Mm -hmm. to like choose from. It's just like, I would like a tall, handsome. And so it's just, it's the same thing that every woman says. Yeah. It's just somebody who's adventurous. Yeah. (laughs) Six feet tall, six figures, six pack. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this one woman (laughs) who was like, no, I I was younger in my twenties. You know, she's like a 40, 50 something year old New York lady. Who's never gotten married and she's very aggressive and all this you know fun new yorker shit so she's like i remember when i was younger and i went to columbia and those men were so and i was like because you were young and hot and you were american like that's why they were so cool for you back then so like i'm not gonna ruin it but she goes back and it is not how she remembers it at all (laughs) (laughs) well since uh max has become a thing like no longer hbo max now yeah, there's all the they, merging because there's like discovery stuff on yeah. max now yeah because uh cinemax merged with hbo right however there's now discovery stuff on there too which there i don't know i don't know who owns who anymore. who cares i don't care i, I just don't love know, that it's but... all over the map anymore like fucking find it wherever you find it it's fine <laughs> yeah so i caught up on uh 90 day fiance in paradise oh girl yes you yeah. did i did I, I caught up on it those are guys and are mess. You, you saying columbia is what made me think of it because there's uh i don't recall like 90 day fiance the the just the regular i guess flagship show having gay couples on it Um, they're actually, they've got a few like that. So that 90 day in Paris is like, I think one of their trial spinoffs, but the paradise, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But the more recent, uh, 90 day, like core programming has 
alternative lifestyles now. So, oh, okay. okay. Gays and trans and all sorts of fun stuff. Lots of diversity happening. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on the 90 days in paradise, they have a gay couple and these two men are like the most manly looking men (laughs) in this couple. And every time I saw them, I'm like, but who's the bottom? Well, yeah, like, but who's like (laughs) the more feminine one of the relationship? And then there was like a whole half an episode almost dedicated to how they were talking about neither of them wanted to be a bottom. And I'm like, how are you? That's not going to work. Engaged. Ain't going to (laughs) work. And like almost walking down the aisle. And neither of them nope. had been a bottom for each other. Nope. Not going to work. I was like, what is happening? I mean. I'm not even in that realm. And I know it's not. It ain't going to work. <laughs> I know. I'm not a gay man. I can tell you right now. It is not going to work. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay. I mean, I guess you guys can have fun other ways because you don't see each other that often because you're in different countries. Mm-hmm. But once you're together all of the time, you're going to have to figure out like how to set up a schedule or switch mm-hmm. off or something. We're so invested. Yes. And um, yeah. So, I mean, spoil alert, I guess you can pause or fast forward or whatever, but um, (laughs) spoiler, they don't stay together. (laughs) Shocking. Hello. Not because of the bottom issue, but I really think it is the bottom issue. It's an underlying thing. Trust you me. It's a subline in that whole, right. have an issue with you thing. Right. It's definitely in there. Like a earmark somewhere. I'm like, they're really pointing a lot at this other person who doesn't seem to really be that destructive. I, <laughs> I think this is misplaced energy. <laughs> Somebody's not telling the truth. <laughs> Speaking of telling the truth, are you ready to get in on this one or what? <laughs> I am. The hoes of history have provided yet another fantastic, like I did not know this everybody knows who this person is this person's incredibly famous all over the globe still to this very day they're what they kicked off in freaking the 1700s still exists today okay so her name we know her by her government name is marie groschultz what we know her on uh the main what am i trying to say as we know her in mainstream, Madame Tussaud. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's got quite the history. Interesting. I, I like had no clue. Of course, I didn't really pay much attention. I thought it, for a while, I think I thought she was just like a character they, that somebody created. But no, she's a, she was a real life human being who did some wild fucking shit. <laughs> I know. I mean, all I can think of is the wax museums, which yep. is the real life figurine lookalikes of yep. celebrities yep i've never gone to a madame tussauds me either however not that long ago megan the stallion <laughs> had two wax figures like i guess launch at yeah. a madame tussauds and it was hilarious to me she was standing in between them <laughs> and she was like rubbing her own butt 
(laughs) Yeah, it's weird. In one of the pictures or something, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know why this is freaking me out a little bit. They were so creepy. They looked so much like her. Like they must, they have come a long way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, they so like we'll get into it. They didn't really have a lot of um documentation if you will about the process but there was definitely like handed over between people and like improved upon each time you know so marie was born december 1st 1761 or december 7th 1761 there's a couple of different um things she also like spoke about her life at some point in her life and has an autobiography and a lot of not a real autobiography but like there's a lot of documentation where she spoke out about her experiences in life which is actually interesting from back in the day that doesn't necessarily always happen but she was definitely a very huge part of French history so she was born in Strasbourg France or Strasbourg Germany whatever the territory was at that time her dad was actually killed in the Seven Years' War two months before she was born. Or actually, mm-hmm. like, within the same month or so that she was born. So her mother, some tea, people think that her mom was actually having an affair with a doctor who could be her real dad. So at the time when she was born, until she was six years old, that's kind of like the the whole, like, she was having an affair she didn't care that her husband died and she was able to do whatever she needed to do because she was, you know, having an affair. But by the time she was six, her mom moved her to Bern, Switzerland, where she moved into the family home of Dr. Philip Curtis. So he was said to be his mom, her mom's like, you know, boo or whatever. And so his mom became his housekeeper at the time and was allowed to bring little miss marie with him her so was he married mm -mm. why didn't he just have her come then as his partner well well, because i think that the it's just a rumor that he they were having an affair you know how people talk and it's the 1700s so who the fuck really knows what was going on either way they knew each other she was at some point employed by him as his housekeeper um and little Miss Marie went with her. And so as Philip was a physician in Switzerland, he was also a wax modeler. So he actually was the reason Madame Tussaud started wax modeling. He started off using his skill set to illustrate anatomy as a doctor, but eventually he started using it for portraits. Like he recognized how it can be fiscally a good idea for him. So um at one point he actually opened up a small museum in his home and while he was still in switzerland doing this you know small museum thing a french nobleman called prince conti prince de conti urged him to move to paris so he could exploit his artistic capabilities so at that time uh Marie was also essentially like his niece at that point. He took her under his wing. He was, you know, taking care of her or whatever. So in, in 1765, it's so hard to say these dates, he moved to Paris and he, 
became very quickly like a favorite at court as well as within the um, intellectual opposition. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But <laughs> so he went to Paris. He kind of made a name for himself. He um, later on would have uh, Marie and his mo- and her mother join them. So in 1767, they came in and um, he ended up kind of making a name for himself because he was doing sculptures of royalty at that time. So his first year that he was there in Paris, he made a wax sculpture of Louis XV's last mistress, Madame Dubarry. And that casting is the eldest casting. It is still on display today at the original Madame Tussauds. Um, he traded successes with the court to create wax portrait firm, uh, the, to create a wax portrait firm, basically. So he was like, yes, I love doing these things for the court, but I feel like I can stand on my own two feet and do this for more than just the royalties. So he created again, a firm that would be like his business. And that's where he would start essentially uh, showing all of his wares. So um, he created not just wax busts, but also many life-sized recreations, including that of the royal family eating dinner. So he was privy to a lot of the royalty at that time because they were so enamored by his skill set. And so they gave him access to them in their real life because who wouldn't want to see themselves as a portrait in the 1700s? The royals would. So he, um, his first exhibition was very successful and it was in 1770. So again, remember at that time, the mom and Marie were there and it was so successful after seven, several years still that it moved permanently to Palais Royal, which is now a French former royal palace. And so he was asked to keep his exhibition permanently in that area. And so he was pretty successful at that point. He okay. Opening. I still am like, what average Joe is going to pay for? Well, they can't afford it. So of course, right. So like him like... opening his business or whatever, or having expansion outside of the royal family. I'm like, who? Who? Well, who's gonna... because you know, people they didn't have photographs back then, so that was one way people could see the royals up close. So he was probably. Well, I understand generating... his ex. I understand his. Uh his openness of showing his Mm -hmm. works but like when you're talking about him opening a business I'm thinking he's gonna take different clientele oh yeah no (laughs) and I was like uh he would take on clientele so he would take requests obviously from the people that could afford it but then he would also have exhibitions of what he was doing and then those people would like be okay with him showing them their busts or whatever else not boobies but you know whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he was so successful. He ended up creating a second secondary gallery called um, the Cavern of Grand Thieves or the Chamber of Great Robert, Robbers in 1782. And that actually was to kind of show the like condemned and executed criminals of Paris at the time. So keep in mind that the French Revolution is very quickly approaching. Um, so Marie went to Paris in 67 and joined him and her wax modeling career took off from there. He would show her how to make molds and mixed tinted wax. 
So she basically learned everything from him. And when she was learning, she was showing that she had very significant talent that to like similar to his own. And she was actually able to create her first piece in 1777, which was that of Voltaire, who was a French Enlightenment writer who was against the royal family. Um, and it was, a very, it was a wildly successful piece. And so from 1780 up till the revolution um, in 1780, sorry, up until 1780, she was ba- like creating many famous portraits of celebrities at that time that included um, several philosophers, Benjamin Franklin, Voltaire. Uh, she basically liked to embellish her stories a little bit. And she said that during that time, as she was getting acclimated to, you know, creating the wax busts and everything, she was invited to live, reside with the royal family and live in the, like, castle with them basically to make votives and eventually the the sister of louis the 16th who was the last king of france before the revolution his sister elizabeth wanted to learn so she actually ended up teaching her sister elizabeth how to create wax figurines and votives etc um while giving her account of that period of life she claims to have been so privy to the private royal conversations and the family was so pleased to work with her that she was invited, like I said, to live in Versailles for nine years. So she said that there's no real evidence that proves that she was there today. Obviously, there's no documentation saying like, yeah, she was a part of the royal family for nine years, but she claims that she lived there. How you know, accurate, we don't know. So during that time, when she was there, again, remember the French Revolution was coming up and her, um, her Philip said hey listen it's cool that you're in tight with the the royal court peeps but like back away because this is about to get real it's about to get ugly and i don't want you to get taken down it she didn't bail so (laughs) she's like thanks bud but no thanks okay (laughs) so on july in July of, I actually don't know the dates in this, but eventually she was seen as a royal sympathizer and she was set to be executed by beheading. Mm, the townspeople revolted. Yes. Well, they didn't like the fact that she was supporting the royal family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Philip said, hey, you need to get out. She didn't. Um. She was, and this was during like the reign of terror. It's a literal point period of time. You can Google yes. it. Yes. She was arrested. Her head was shaved in preparation for the guillotine. She was saved by Colette de Herbois due to his support of Philip's household. So because Philip's friend knew her and her works could be used for good, he finagled her out of there. So he saved her. Okay. Which is kind of neat. From that- um, It's very neat considering if he hadn't, then the rest of the story wouldn't be a thing. We mm-hmm. wouldn't know who Madame we Tussauds have, was. Like, it we would wouldn't just- have the wax museums that should be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that it's very neat. <laughs> yeah. Super neat. <laughs> so on July 12, 1789, Philip created wax heads of Jacques, Jacques, 
Jack Necker and the Duke of New Orleans. <laughs> Jack Necker. <laughs> and E-C-K-E-R for clarification. So <laughs> um, they actually were created for people to protest against the French royalties. Um, and so <laughs> he ended up kind of playing both fields, but eventually was on the French Revolution side where he was like creating all of this work for people to essentially use as um, like propaganda, if you will. So he always stayed on good terms with the dominant parties and kind of stu- like stayed out of the politics. He just supplied everybody to be political. <laughs> Um, and then, so she also met another lady while she was in prison who she would meet years later. And it was Napoleon's wife, Josephine. Um, so as, after she had been saved, she was creating masks and models of the guillotine victims to kind of go along with Philip and his, you know, shtick on making money. And she was there. Uh, so Robis Robespierre is a, a well-known name in that era. And he ended up shooting himself. He tried to take himself out. And he didn't do a good job. He ended up using a pistol to try to take himself out and ended up shattering his underjaw. And they... So I assume then he was putting the gun in his mouth and didn't aim up or whatever, like aim to the side or something. I have to assume. So they tied him, bound his face back up and chopped off his head. (laughs) And then Marie took his head, made a casting of it. (laughs) Well, they, okay. Yeah, like, well, this guy wants to die anyway, so we'll yeah, just well, make sure he dies. Um, you know, he got he got taken out because the royal family. He was a you know, protester, or whatever. So she was there to make casts and molds of very famous victims, including Louis the Sixteenth, Marie Antoinette, and a princess La, La Lambelle, uh, and a couple other folks. So I guess my thing is, though, if she's doing these lookalikes, is she drawing pictures of them to remember what they look like? Or is no. she, I mean, she's taking physical casts of their bodies. So I did, know, but so like, would, and, and then what? And then she would paint them or use colored wax to create. Like, it's a very. But, but so I'm just, I'm picturing like literal heads rolling yes. off of the guillotine. And then she grabs and them up and puts a cast on the face of it and creates a death mask. Yes. It's, <sighs> it's fucked up, bro. Fucked up. Fucked up. Fucked up. Google death masks. It's fucked up. It's gross. It's creepy. But that's how people remembered people back then. Whatever. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm like, you couldn't. Just maybe sketch something up real quick nah. to remember. <laughs> I'm better at sculpting than I am drawing, so I get it. I get it. But anyway, so uh... <laughs> so she did this. Her and 
Philip did this for like a while. And then in 1794, he passed away and left her his entire everything, his estates. Where's mom? What happened to mom? I don't know. Exhibitions. He left her everything. And then she realized very quickly, like, I have a lot of money because he had houses, he had estates, he had, you know, everything a doctor would have, essentially. He left it all to her because she was his niece and his, like, you know. It's more like she was his daughter at this point. Yeah, his, like, stepdaughter, like his, I don't know, honorary daughter. (laughs) I still feel like niece isn't even the close enough term. No, it was, like, mentee, I guess. I don't know. So he left her everything and she did her part in ensuring they continued to like emphasize different factions and place different models of villains in the chamber of horrors. And, um, you know, just basically kept up with the Joneses in terms of like the exhibitions. And so they never went stale. So she continued to make money off of those things as she was doing her other stuff, which I think is kind of cool, you know? Um, so cut to 95, where she met Francois Tussaud. Mm-hmm. She was not, she was not Madame Tussaud yet. Mm-hmm. So she met him in, in 1795. And there's like literally nothing about their first meeting. Why, how, how they ended up, they just decided to get married. So they had, they got married and they ended up having three children. Francois was a civil engineer, so you can imagine he was kind of not already a creative person, so they didn't really jive, and so they had three children, um, a daughter who passed away shortly after birth, and two sons, Joseph and Francois Jr. They, she basically tried to, like, get him involved in the business and realized hard and fast because he didn't have, like, any artistic talent or skills that she could not rely on him at all (laughs) to do anything in the business very funny story that i'll (laughs) keep quick i used to like paint our like acrylic paint on canvas for fun like as a little hobby and i would just kind of do whatever came to me and some of them were abstracty some of them weren't but occasionally i'd use like painter's tape you know to blackout areas or make lines and so I had taken a canvas like a rectangular shape one and I didn't do the lines like down the middle down like mm-hmm. you know if you're gonna um have a gift and you're wrapping it with like the ribbons <laughs> and you see like the bow in the center like that's how you expect the square to be divided <laughs> right <laughs> well so my lines were like off centers and so there was like uh smaller portions bigger boxes whatever anyway my brother who's an engineer like was just like looking at it and he's like I don't he's like why aren't the lines straight <laughs> like why <laughs> they don't have to be <laughs> yeah it was just so funny he was like I don't know <laughs> twitching tweaking out over the fact that I like didn't do my lines exactly centered and whatever and I was like oh boy (laughs) it's just yeah it's just two different minds you know 
to each his own. Art is subjective. <laughs> I was like, well, this wouldn't be the same if they were centered. Like what? <laughs> like to him, it was like throwing him off. I'm gonna puke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To each his own. But art yeah. is. You either got it or you don't. <laughs> So I'm just picturing like he couldn't even really put into words like he's just like I just he's just looking at it like I don't get it. So I can imagine in their marriage, at least the way that you're describing it, (laughs) that they must have had some sort of opposites attract kind of thing that happened in the beginning. And then he, you know, when they go to have real conversations about some of this stuff, especially if you He's trying to bring him into like an art business. He's just gonna sit there and like not have words, like just be like, I don't, I don't what? I don't like you in a puke. I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm I'm twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. So 1802 cuts. She decides that she's already got exhibitions all over the place. She's got them in Germany, she's got them in England, and in India. You know, everybody's got them. Um, she decided at that point she needed to move across into the English Channel with a large portion of her exhibition in Paris. So she took it to England and she left her husband, never saw him again. Whoa. Never saw him fucking again. Whoa. <laughs> this is a good time to also mention that her story follows a lot of trends of... <laughs> other stories where somehow these women make it to England or a lot of cases like make it to Europe or whatever, like make it across the ocean. They're doing transatlantic like travel and she's got wax figurines and somehow <laughs> here we are. She's she's made it there with her <laughs> things without a man like every single time none of them have a man you can't tell me they had they did not have like what are they called where you instantly go from one place to another teleportation yeah teleport (laughs) they had teleportation that is nobody's talking about it (laughs) there were portals (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) i was also gonna say she didn't have a father but she had a she had a very very close father figure so i don't know if i can say that Mm -hmm. is on trend but we don't know technically she didn't have a father either right so she she goes to london and she takes all of her french nobles if you will the royalties the people that have been fucking around she takes all those models over to the english court and she's highly successful because it allowed the english people to see the actual faces of these people that they've been hearing about going crazy in france um and so she was fairly successful she was also invited she accepted an invitation from philip i'm gonna fuck up his last name (laughs) uh no i'm sorry paul du flipstall paul de flipstall flipstall anyway (laughs) he was a french showman who basically kind of came right after her uh and he had a a magic lantern show called ghosts and it was for optical illusions. And so he was like on the cusp of, you know, projecting images with light. So he had like 
stuff on glass that he would light a candle and then it would be like like over a projector so he created these illusions that had never existed before and created himself a little show full of optical illusions well putting those in with her work because he liked the spoopy shit he pioneered it um and they ended up becoming like successful she made money um the profits really started coming in though when she was adding models molded from the decapitated heads of the english criminals that got caught up um she also took artistic liberties at that time so the people who were considered criminals were actually created with this like blue filter in all the work to make them mm-hmm. seem as though they were a little bit more sinister <laughs> mm-hmm. okay and so like um that developed into like a permanent feature and it was kind of um it was referred to as the separate room that was not suitable for ladies <laughs> okay which I find to be incredibly hilarious. So she, I guess some people look at her as like a, a, like a historian, if you will, because she didn't look at people and dictate anything more than the truth, which is what she had. You know what I mean? So she's like, she just took a snapshot in time and then put a, a little bit of artistic liberties. So she was kind of like a journalist in a way, which is, I think is kind of interesting. So she was she was a tabloid <laughs> journalist of sorts. Yeah. She was exposing people. She's like telling the British monarchy like this <laughs> is what yourself. the crazy French people look like. Go hunt <laughs> yeah. them down. Yeah. So <laughs> um in 1803 money wasn't just it just wasn't doing great. So she and her son Joseph went to Edinburgh uh and there in glasgow it kind of cre- made up for like some of the finances that her inept husband back in paris was fucking with oh really yeah because i'm like she shouldn't be that hard up for money if she came into so much no he was taking her money and failing at all kinds of things and so she was making up for it on the road uh, that's why she left him yep so okay she began to raise money from portraits just like her uncle and ended up building up a group of noble clients in france again she found lords and members of the parliament and minor royalty who were very eager to sit with her with her and for her in england and she essentially became like a fashionable portrait portraitist in wax so like she ended up getting people's eyes and like back in the day when people wanted themselves painted as royalty and nobles, et cetera, you know, she would kind of do the same thing for them. Um, she had a really successful show in Dublin and managed to buy her independence from the partner she had, Paul. So she partnered with Paul in England to have that exhibition with his spooky shit and her stuff. And her stuff was really kind of pulling all the weight. And so she, again, was able to bail out of that once she made enough money in Dublin. Okay. So she wrote her husband and said, we can each go our own way. (laughs) (laughs) So 
her mom and her younger son were still in Paris with her husband. She took her eldest son and just kept marching along. So from 1804 onwards, she never saw him ever again. And then her youngest son, eventually in 1822, joined her to help her with her exhibitions. Okay. So she, from 1804 to 1822, was having a hard time traveling around because thanks to Napoleon and his little wars that he kept, you know, cropping up everywhere, she was just kind of bopping around. So from 1804 to 1822, she really doesn't have a lot going on. And, but uh, she ended up in 1822, it was the year of King George V's state visit to Ireland, and she decided that she wanted to go visit as well and display her models of his coronation, which had made her a lot of money in London. So she's doing this, well, on the ship, all the stuff, the ship got caught up in a storm um, and wrecked. She managed to get into the open boat with a handful of fellow survivors and reached the desert, deserted shores. Mm. Um, she the, escaped death twice. Yeah. <laughs> she was taken in. Thankfully, thankfully, they were all given warm clothes and food. Um, by good luck, though, the wax models had not been on the ship. They were safe in storage back in Liverpool. So she didn't lose all of her stuff, which was good. Um, she was the woman that saved them. She was so taken with Madame Tussaud because I think at this point she was like in her. I don't know, thirties or something further along than that. Yeah. She was like later, late thirties, maybe early forties. Yeah. Late thirties, late twenties, excuse me. So she She was born in 1761, 61. And now we're in early 1800s. 1822 so yeah that's 61 that's like 40 years 22 that's another 20 that's so that's 60 (laughs) well that doesn't make sense (laughs) sorry right yeah why does it whatever she was older at she wasn't she's geriatric at that point (laughs) i'm like i'm like there's no way she's only 30 at this point yeah no Man, man, the math did not math on this one. So <laughs> the math didn't math or you couldn't math it. No, the math didn't math because I was just following what they were telling me. But she, you know. Oh, well, then maybe there's like wrong years or something. There's but... got to be because I pulled from several sources. Okay. So um, the lady was so taken by Madame Tussaud that she actually gave her a collection of old dresses and lace with which to clothe herself and the models that had been lost. So she participated in Madame Tussaud's exhibition by giving her stuff to put on the, the actual wax models, which I thought was cool. Um, she had another dangerous moment for the collection during the Bristol riots of 1831. Uh, they broke out while her show was on display and the house in which Madame Tussaud was staying in was set on fire. <laughs> oh my God, this woman's got nine lives. <laughs> and... Um, the assembly rooms themselves were about to go up in flames when she and her assistants arrived to rescue many of the models. So she had quite a few people 
helping her get her stuff taken care of and saved and stuff like that. So she settled down in Britain. She had a steady routine of touring and exhibitions. She showed the same political dexterity that served her well in France and was able to do business throughout the Napoleonic Wars despite not being able to get back to Paris. So like I said, she she wanted to really bad, but she couldn't. So she made do with what she had and she was continuing to make connections with the royalists and she um would start to minimize her former closeness with the revolutionaries and napoleon weird she would pack up these models and it took a lot of time consider the fact that they were in a vessel like a boat getting tossed around and shit so they ended up creating like this process with her and her staff that it was took a few weeks but they would be able to pack these things up with a lot of care and patience and get them settled so that when they were moved around they weren't bobbing all over the place and getting all jacked up so the bodies themselves i'm just imagining if there's like coffin boxes full of yeah. wax figures is that, like that's basically what's happening right yeah is- i feel like there are <laughs> <laughs> so she ended up making the bodies out of wood and stuffed leather and after you know figuring out how to create everything properly they would survive a lot a lot of journeys and so as time passed her life models of the french monarchy and revolutionaries became increasingly more valuable and she didn't really have much time to model like new celebrities but managed to create portraits of the local dignitaries in the countries she visited and still made effigies of condemned criminals in nationally famous cases <laughs> so um she had the most success with two traitors uh that were culprits in a gruesome murder her models of burke and hare two body snatchers became the chief draw in england in 1828 when evidence showed they had lured the old and poor to their boarding house to kill them and then sold their bodies in sacks for dissection and anatomy classes. Huh. Huh. What an odd criminal career choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And for the schools or whoever's needing anatomy classes like why are you buying them from criminals i guess yeah so in 1834 she went back from all of her lengthy tours in england um in the english provinces to create a permanent exhibition in london and as she was traveling in her 32 years of you know britain's fucking areas that she went to uh her shows always had like you know, those makeshift settings that they had in order for the shows to be successful. But um, she ended up renting out a large room, a couple large rooms in North London at the corner of Baker Street, later known as the Sherlock Holmes's address, in a building called the Bazaar. Next year, they moved into a, a closer building and settled permanently in London in the entertainment landscape. Punch magazine, I guess, nicknamed the more gruesome part of her work the Chamber of Horrors and said it contained bloodshed and homicide in every variety. 
Charles Dickinson's or Charles Dickens used Madame Tussauds as his model for Miss Jarley's Waxworks in the old curiosity shop from 1840. So she's become a figure at this point. She's become somebody who mm-hmm. people are interested in portraying themselves, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Duke of Wellington, whose effigy Tussauds sometimes placed alongside of Napoleon, who uh, he defeated said that it was the most entertaining place in London. Um, so <laughs> she ended up creating a portrait of herself in 1842. It was her own portrait, and it's on display now at the entrance of her museum. A lot of the sculptures she made are still in existence today, which is pretty neat. Hmm. So she was at this point 76 years old. And her sons reached a responsible age where they were able to take over the daily runnings of the show. And basically they started running shit after she retired. So um, she ended up basically going through the motions and keeping up with the Joneses and finding people that she could continuously... um, Uh, model for people to be entertained by um uh let's see so she i'm gonna read this maybe directly because it makes more it's more comprehensive than what i created so a few months after she um a few months of the ascension of the queen victoria in 1837 visitors could recapture the splendors of the coronation and be certain the models were absolutely true to life trousseau spent her declining years dictating her memoirs to friends to a friend francois herve carefully excluding all of her personal matters so this is why we have so much information on how she did what she did when she was doing it because she told somebody about it and they captured it um but in 1841 we have an exchange of letters between her and her sons, uh, between her sons, a mutual French friend, and her husband, who had traveled to England hoping for a reconciliation. So he tried. <laughs> In 1841, years later, decades later, he tried. I'm like, um, that's like the literal translation of too little, too late, buddy. Yeah. Like, well, essentially. So Madame Tussauds and her sons absolutely refused to see him and said he yeah. acted scandalously, adding that he might find mercy from God, but not from them. Oh, my God. It is possible that he was an adulterer, who, which had prompted her to leave him 40 years before. So we don't know. We do not know. He could have been a shitty businessman taking all of her money. He could have been a fucking piece of shit who was just putting his dick in whatever he wanted. So she had no close friends to go into society with. She was regarded as a fascinating but very solitary woman um, and just had a large circle of London admirers. So in London on April 16th, um, 1850, some say she was 90, some say she was 88, but she passed away in her sleep. And that at that point in time, She gave full control and ownership of everything to her sons, who became British subjects in 1847, and it was passed down through the family and has remained remained successful up to the present, despite a fire in 1925 and a German bombing in 1940. 
So um, there is a memorial tablet to her on the right side of the nave of St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church in Cardog- Cardigan Street, London. Uh, her son, Francois, became the chief artist for the exhibition and was succeeded by his son, Joseph, who was succeeded by his son, John Theodore Tussaud. And they have continued. She was buried in the Catholic cemetery in Chelsea besides the revolutionary uh, emerges people who were definitely helping people in society see the other side instead of just going with the flow with that one group of people, the royals. So um, she she passed down this, uh, what's it called, this business to her sons and the, the family still, I believe, runs it today. I would say somewhere along the line, they were successful because there's a Madame Tussauds in every major <laughs> city in the United States, for yeah. heaven's sake. I mean, at this point in the story that you're saying, like they, they, were, they hadn't gone to america like there wasn't a reason to um so yeah that's that's awesome that they kept it in the family for real for real yeah there you didn't really mention her teaching her sons how to do it but i am assuming she did she did as uh as they you know went around with her her youngest son wasn't with her until 1822 right who so you know, the, the elder son definitely got his stuff figured out. And then as the other son joined, he too jumped in both feet, of course, and got into creating sculptures and helping run the business in one way, shape or form. So, yeah. Huh. Well, never saw him again. Fuck you, buddy. (laughs) Oh my God. All of these women who just are like, Eating it up. Do, doing what they got to do to survive. I mean, fuck. Eating it the fuck up, man. Yes. That's wild. She's pouring wax on guillotine heads. <laughs> and she's like, give me that money. Keeping her shit together while she's doing it on the funds that she had. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Wild. She, they said like she was definitely very composed in the times that she needed to be, but it was very difficult for her. She would not let it out. But when she did, she let it out. It was very much in private a lot, too. So, well, yeah, I mean, they're saying she was like a solitary woman. I'm like, because uh, she's seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she knows. she knows. At some point, she's probably like, I don't want to get close to anybody because before <laughs> you know it, I'm doing their uh, wax Face. figuring. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. wow i just didn't know i didn't know but now we know I, yeah so i wonder if at those museums they have some of the originals like some of the they old do. ones i was gonna say they must right because mm-hmm. it's not really like a draw for me to go see wax figurines of celebrities and obviously some people are into it and think it's like a fun time it would be more of a draw for me to go see the historical oh, yeah i was like i'll go see some house right you got, you got some females in there i'll go watch i'll go look <laughs> let me go i want to see the blue ones i want to see yeah, the criminals right? like let me get in on the the juicy tea i want all the drama yeah <laughs> now that i know those. now that i can actually like now that i know the history because i'm actually paying attention because it's finally interesting to me yes i'm in <laughs> right 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 i'm like it's not like 
a draw for me to go take a picture with Kim Kardashian. the various different ways that Michael Jackson looked. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like what he looked like in the Pepsi commercial and his hair is on fire. Yeah, This is when he was white. This is when he was black. (laughs) Like, I think, you know, some people might think that that's fun. Right. For me, I'm just like, yeah, I lived it. I saw it in real life. But the stuff that's prior to my real life, that stuff that is like, you know, the royalty and the monarchs and all that. Like, I find that more interesting. Agreed. 100 P and just the process. Right. Because what was she like? How was she like getting the color of their eyes? You know, I have a feeling (laughs) she got their little body parts for a while so that she could do all the things. No. Well, I understand that. I just mean like getting that detailed with the wax to be able to have a definitive, like, People, I mean, it's, right? Yeah. It, or like eye color. Like, yeah, it's possible that like the wax was white and she painted on it as well. Yeah. yeah you I, like, I I'm more curious than like, what was that process? Because <laughs> nowadays, like, I'm sure everything is somewhat robotic. Or I, there's probably a team of people who can, who works on these wax figurines and stuff, but with help of new technology yeah 100 whereas like back then when she was doing it i'm like she didn't have a needle to jam anything into any like (laughs) i immediately think of like i would need a a couple of needles and syringes to get the hot wax moving around in these places you know like those don't exist (laughs) right right like what was she wearing for protection to keep herself from being burned leather that's all i got Right. So all this fucking wax. I I know. I mean, I don't know, but like I'm feeling you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. We don't. I mean, we might. If I had like two days, we might, but (laughs) (laughs) oh man. Well, that was a good one. I hadn't even had her on the radar not even really realizing that she was even a real person I don't think that's what I was like is she for real wait is this a real lady this isn't like a you know yeah uh, how'd you come up with the idea move your mic I don't remember honestly I think that I think that I looked up somebody's oh no I have a link to a article where I was like "Mm, I'm gonna it's in our notes and I was like I'm gonna look in this link and see who's in there and she was in there and I was like what this is okay (laughs) okay good yeah when I found out that she like escaped the guillotine her head was shaved she was there on the precipice I was like all right we should probably do this one that's a good one (laughs) oh my god can you imagine no like I'm resigning. You're, this you're having it. like your final life moments. My head final shaved. life thoughts. My head is shaved, Nicole. Shaved. I know. I know. And I, I'm just I'm like in your mind, you're like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, No, just you've kidding. got friends in high places. <laughs> Come hang out with me over here. <laughs> Like, thank fuck. Wow. All right. Well, thank yeah. you. Hell yeah. No problem. She was great. <laughs> it was fun. I got to add a girl ready too, because I'm 
Okay. It's at a girl time, which means that we either like patting ourselves on the back for something good that we've done or something good that's happened to us just like to end on a positive note. So Sarah, if you got one ready to roll, what is it? I did my book report on Sunday, Saturday. I Oh, wow. You were I days did this ahead. A while ago. I was that excited about it. And I'm very thankful I did because yesterday I felt like complete horse manure. And today I also felt like complete horse manure and I had a very busy schedule. So proud of myself. That is awesome. Yeah. I oftentimes procrastinate on my book report for these episodes. Trust you me, same. (laughs) I'm usually pretty heavy with myself if I do it even the day before versus the day of. (laughs) Same. I'm like, hey girl, get it. You just did this and you have like, you know, seven more hours to go. Good job. Hell yeah. <laughs> when in reality, I should just do a bunch of them. Like I should just sit down one day and hammer out a bunch of them. Yeah. I but... get excited about one of them and that's it. That's all you get out of me. <laughs> I can't mass produce this shit. Well, the other thing comes. is that if you did do multiple in one day, then by the time it's your you record them, you like forget certain details. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't have as much ad lib space. Right. I forget who this person was and what I read. Chose not to write down because I thought, oh, just remember this. It's fine. <laughs> no big deal. Um, so my ad girl is pretty simple. I, as many of you know, who've listened for a long time, go to spin class. Mm-hmm. I uh, have mentioned a couple of times the amount of rides that I've completed as an Atta girl. But this time I'm just going to say that I went to spin class on Sunday morning and again today when I really did not want to go. Like literally today, my I was going to a noon spin class. And granted, the place is close to my house, but it was 1146 and I was still like, am I going? Oh my God. Good for you. I'm proud of you. This weather has not helped in any way, shape or form. So I'm very proud of you. Yeah. I mean, we've been having shitty, shitty, shitty fucking weather, really shitty, uh, rainy weather. There's been like 70, 80,000 people out like without power. And, um, it seems to be that it's just going to continue on for days and days. And so when you're like sitting in the dark and in the rain, (laughs) It's not very motivating. I mean, but I do like it on occasion. Right. But it's not motivating every day to. So I don't know if it was the weather or what it was, but on Sunday and today, I just was like, I just don't want to do this. Yeah. And I literally was waiting till like last minute and I'm like running in and I'm like just patting myself on the back that I'm there. And then in both classes, I actually hit like my performance goals shouldn't tell you <laughs> and so it's honestly it's the just getting dressed and getting there yeah once you're there most of the time you're fine that's how I feel about life in general like if I just get dressed and get there that's great but I hate it I fucking <laughs> hate it I know it's so fucking dumb <laughs> I'm angry the whole time and then I get there I'm like hi everybody how's it going I'm the happiest person alive <laughs> Uh, social no. situations sometimes bring me energy I don't know I don't know I when I uh walked in there were actually a lot of people there for a noon ride like they're not normally it's not that 
normally full. And, um, so I think that's what helped keep me motivated throughout the class shows that there was energy. (laughs) No, trust me. I, my metrics are always like somewhere right in the middle, like coast (laughs) in the middle. I like the circle. That's a great strategy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the energy of having like all these other people there and like doing it kept me going. That's why I firmly believe that you need like a community, whether it's two or 17, you need a community of people. There's no way that you can survive this shit alone. It's just not possible. No, no. I mean, on, on Sunday, I had made a commitment to my accountability partner that I would be there. Good. Right. So like, ultimately, that's what's in the back of my head is I told them that I'd be there. Right. Exactly. And that's enough guilt to get you to go. Yeah. And <laughs> in, in, uh, accountability partner, let's call it what it is. Guilt partner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That and I don't want to pay the fee for canceling late. Also um, motivator. <laughs> but yeah, so on Sunday after class, he said something. He's like, I almost uh, whatever he said. And I'm like, I almost didn't come. <laughs> so just level the playing field here. I almost didn't make it. So. <laughs> You're lucky. You're welcome. <laughs> well, fuck yeah. Add a girl. Thank you. All right. Well, and again, another great story. I appreciate you looking into the history of Madame Tussauds and that knowing that she's a real person. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that she's a real human too and that she busted her fucking boobies to get where she was at the end right? of it all. <laughs> Dang. Evaded all Dang. sorts of death. <laughs> <sighs> a lot. A lot of death. A lot. Um. If you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe. We'd love for you to share this with your friends. You can request a hoe of history by emailing us at homancepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles um, or chronicle. And you can put it in the comments or in the DMs. Um, You can also get your uh, homance chronicles uh, gear. I guess merchandise at <laughs> Etsy um in my store. So Etsy.com slash shop slash Nicole Bonneville. Uh and if you're feeling freaky, you can join the closed group on Facebook. The home is judgment free zone. Oh, judgment free zone. Um, yeah. So thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Home out. <laughs>